joining us for another episode of Rhymes of the Orange. I'm Billy Liggett, and I'm joined by co-host Kate Stoneburner. How are you, Kate? Feeling great. How are you, Billy? I'm doing pretty good. We are dealing with two things today. We're dealing with the heaviest rain I think I've seen in my neck of the woods in several years. We have several roads around us that are flooded right now, and um, it has done nothing but pour for like six straight hours now. Vernon County Schools let out at 12.30. I know this because I have the old phone number of a parent of a Harnett County Schools children. <laughs> you are all caught up on everything Harnett County Schools. On an educational. Lee County Schools did not close today, but uh, there's going to be a lot of trouble for bus routes here. But uh, anyway, we're dating this show because people may not listen to it for another few days and they'll be looking outside saying, well, it's it's fine it's sunny here <laughs> but yeah so anyway um our guest today is uh Camley diversity professor of clinical research dr Mer oh wait i you know i didn't say was what the other problem was and what? that is loud kids at my house and a loud dog at your house <laughs> apologies for the whining yeah same here so apology for the whining here as well um, now, back to the guest. It is Professor of Clinical Research, Dr. Miranda Van Tilburg, and she's joining us to talk about um, stress and parents during the pandemic. And uh, um, I actually spoke with her a couple weeks ago. We did it for a story, and I went ahead and just recorded it. So, Kate, you're not a part of this podcast, and, and for that, I, I apologize, but uh, I hope you learned something from it. Yeah, I did. I like this podcast. It like you said, when you first heard this topic of research, you said, yeah, what else is new? Parents are smart. <laughs> but the fact that she was very early on and she was really thinking out the implications of what was going to be burdening our healthcare system in the future in a totally different way than most COVID scientists are. And that's with mental health of people who are kids. I it was really interesting and I'm excited to have her on the podcast. Yeah, and uh, she does a lot of great work. I know she has a, a few other studies that are out right now as well. Um, I, I recommend anybody who um, who is on Twitter to also follow her on Twitter. And uh, she is a consistent poster and posts a lot of really great information. But um, I, I got to say that, you know, we, we talked to a lot of people about a lot of different topics. And this is one that's hit close to home for me because just like any other parent that's living through uh, this pandemic right now, um, it's been it's been an experience. I, I will say that my wife has um, burdened has been shouldering the burden of a lot of this when it comes to educating our children at home, making sure that they are going through with their online classes, um, and, and the things that uh, the stress that accompanies that. But also, we're just, we're not able to do a lot of the things that we did as a family uh, just to get the kids out of the house, whether it's going to see a movie or whether it's taking them to friends' houses or whether it's um, things that you most certainly took for granted um, before all this hit. Now you're dealing with the fact that, you know, your home is pretty much it for you and your kids. I know that a lot of that has um, alleviated in recent months with kids being able to return back to school. 
But, you know, as we're recording this, uh, the governor of North Carolina just announced that uh, gatherings have been reduced again from 25 to 10 and that the pandemic is, is uh, you know, just as strong or just as um, is spreading just as much as it did at its peak earlier in the year. So it's, it's sad that there's no end in sight. And that's a lot of what her um, study deals with is, is the mental toll that all of this is taking on parents. And so it's really fascinating stuff. If you're a parent and you're seeing that um, anxiety is going up, depression is going up, uh, maybe there's some comfort in knowing that these feelings that you're feeling aren't abnormal at all, that you're allowed to, not allowed, but that you're, you're a lot of people are experiencing what you're experiencing right now and you're not a bad parent. And I think that's why her study is important. So if you're a parent, we hope this is encouraging. And if you're interested, we hope that you find lots more information about these unprecedented times on this edition of the podcast. And if you're a dog parent like Kate Stoneburner, then uh, you really have no excuse to be stressed out right now. Your dogs can still go for walks. Actually, this dog got surgery and cannot walk anywhere in a three-story house, so that's fun. So my first question for you, Dr. Van Tilburg, is um, where did the idea for this come about and uh, why did you choose to pursue um, looking at how the pandemic has stressed out parents or um, it goes deeper than that I know. <laughs> That's okay. Well first of all in my regular research I focus on how parents can better help um, kids with chronic diseases. So I'm already focused on parenting in general um, and I like to I always say you know you're with if you have a child with a chronic disease you're with your physician or other healthcare providers only once every so often, usually once every couple of months or so, but you're at your parents all the time. And so we need to do a better job in healthcare community of sort of helping parents how to help their kids best. Um, and as COVID-19 started very quickly, I would see the same thing as you're voicing now that my, um, I, I, I'm a parent, but my children um, are sort of grown there um, at back when the pandemic started. I still had one in high school, but now they're both in college. Uh, but I would st very quickly see that this was very, very challenging on parents. And this was before there was all of this media attention to it. And I said, let's get a study out because I think it's going to be really important. This is really going to affect parents the most out of probably anybody in the pandemic other than sort of like if you get the virus, right? Um, but more yeah, sort of like in, in terms of psychosocial stress. Yeah, you did this way back in mid-April when yes, this was be before mask mandates. And yep. you know, it was around the time right after schools had started closing. So yeah, this was really early in, in the process. And it just shows you how long it takes to do a study like this, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So we did study very early on before sort of there was this realization parents are very stressed out. And now, of course, it's sort of common knowledge. And as you said, <laughs> I live it every day. This is not new. Why are you yeah. opening this door? <laughs> you know, we all know it exists. But in science, we always have to 
show numbers and it's and I think it also validates a lot of parents to see you're not alone you you do you're you're in good company uh, it's normal to feel this way during this pandemic lots of other people are stra- struggling um, and so that was sort of why I started to study and and specifically I heard a lot about pediatricians or parents who have children who have chronic disease and saying like it's extra hard on us because we won't be able to see our medical health care provider for example and we won't be able to get services that we really need for children and you know whatever condition they have or maybe access to certain medical things or maybe even food let's say your child had celiac disease can't eat gluten it was hard to find regular bread let alone you know bread that was gluten-free, gluten-free products back then. So early on with all of these you know, things that weren't for sale in our grocery stores, that was a really big deal as well. So that's why I immediately wanted to focus on not just parents, but parents of children, healthy kids, as well as children with chronic diseases. Right. And we'll get into the results in a little bit, but um, I want to talk about the study itself. Um, roughly 700 parents? Yeah, so correct? Um, six... 30 or something. Oh, okay. It's just a little over 600. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I read that uh, they're from all over the country. Um, yes. Just so you had, you know, different states were at that time um, hitting this, uh, were, were getting hit a little bit harder than some states at that time. You know, it's everybody now, but back then, it, you know, um, New York, like, you know, for example, was being hit harder. So, so this is from all over, uh, all over the, the country. Um, how- and the reason we did that is that I thought in terms of how stressed people are, certainly early on in the pandemic, how stressed we were about, you know, changing our behaviors and being in this social isolation that we were in, you know, because everything was closed down. It didn't almost really matter if there was a high risk of getting COVID in your state or your county or wherever you live versus whether there was a low. We were all alone at home. Our kids were all home from school. People were all afraid of losing their jobs. Like this right. was across the board. Um, so that's why I thought a nationally representative study would make more sense than focusing only on those states where the infection rates were high. And this was all done online, but how, how did you choose the parents that are included in this study? What was the requirements? The requirements really were just to have at least one child in your home that was below the age of 18. Um, And then we uh, specifically solicited parents from all over the United States to make sure that we had about an approximate representation of, you know, okay, North Carolina has fewer people living than California. So I need more people from California than from North Carolina. And I also made sure that we had, um, about 50-50, I allowed 60-40% of, of mothers and fathers. And usually we only get the mother's perspective because they're more likely to respond to these types of surveys. But I right. definitely wanted to include fathers. And then to make sure that we had enough minorities so that that was an, a good representation of um, the United States population as well. So uh, that, yeah. Again, we'll go over the results, but just, just because you just brought it up, um, you said you had mothers and fathers. Uh, any big differences between the two there? Because at least early on, it felt like um, mothers were taking the majority of the responsibilities until everybody had to stay home, I guess. And so um, you could maybe guess then that because they were taking on more responsibility, 
that maybe they were more stressed, but did you find any difference in answers between men and women? Um, I specifically didn't put that into the paper because it's sort of a strange uh, thing to compare because sure. in general, we know anxiety, rates of anxiety, depression, and stress are higher women anyway than men. And okay. so no matter whether you're a parent, no matter what you're going through, you know, I know I'm going to find this. And what yeah. does it really tell me then? Is it just a normal variation between men and women or is it, you know, an abnormal, an even bigger um, right. thing? The only thing that I did look at is how much parents felt that they were supported. So, you know, very early on, daycares were closed, schools were closed, and parents certainly didn't have access to a lot of grandparents to babysit, et cetera, et cetera. And so I looked at how much men and women felt that they were supported by their partner, if they had a partner. And um, there was a very big difference between the two. Like in, in general, two thirds of the women said that they felt they did more in terms of chores, household chores. They did more in terms of like their child's um, schooling, et cetera, than, um, than their partner did. And for men, it was only about a one third that said they did more than the partner did. So right. definitely unequal in that way. Yeah, hopefully that's getting more equal as this continues to go. Um, so I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, there's lots of studies showing that uh, in terms of work and participation of women in the workplace, this pandemic has been really, really rough and it's going to set us back probably 20 years in wow. terms of women with small children, right? Not women right. like me, like it doesn't matter as much for me, but women with small children who sort of had to, a lot of them had to either take the decision to stay home or really reduce their work outputs um, because of the increased demand for schooling, et cetera, of children. So let's go, yeah, let's go to the results. Um, yep. So um, you say that level of stress um, was uh, between, for parents was moderate to highly, to highly stressed. They reported being moderately stressed to highly stressed and, um, and you say 79%. So that's roughly four out of every five parents said, you know, this is, this is doing a number on us. And, mm -hmm. and then you had uh, much higher rates of uh, clinical anxiety and depression. Um, what do you, what did you find that was causing the stress? So number of factors, I, I bet. <laughs> yes, we, we looked at a lot of what we call stressors. So mm -hmm. I guess a little explanation it might be too much for a podcast, but just for you. Sure. When, we, when we say stress in just our general language, it means actually multiple things. Sure. And as psychologists, when we look at stress, we actually separate those. So we say there's the stressor, which is the thing that potentially stresses you. So a divorce is a stressor. Going to jail is a stressor, right? Mm -hmm. Then you interact with that stressor and you, how well you do that, you know, how well you cope with the stressor, how well you feel like you have the, the ability to cope with stressor, that then stresses you out. So that's the feeling of being stressed, right? And right. then that leads to an outcome and the outcome might be things like anxiety, depression, visibility, you know, all kinds of other stuff. So in our study, what we looked at is what were the, the main stressors due to the COVID-19 and how common were they? And I don't have my paper in front of me, unfortunately, yeah, but fine. they were really high levels of work-related stressors. So lots and lots of people who said they were losing their jobs or reduction in pay, um, even if you didn't you weren't affected by that yet in April, back in April, right? It, it, most people were worried about 
the future of their jobs and being providing for the families. So that was a huge stressor for parents. And then um, in addition, they have the stressors of the online schooling and now the children being at home without access to their usually social support system. So, you know, you can't ask your parents to come babysit because they're probably above the age of 60 at high risk of getting infected. So you don't want them around your children. Daycares were closed, schools were closed. You couldn't do play dates. You know, lots of these things that just didn't help. Um, We did not find that that, uh, it seemed that parents were doing fairly well with coping. Like the coping mechanism was was doing fairly well. And they, they felt if they were married, they were happy and satisfied with their marriage and stuff like that. But this is just too much of a stressor, right? The COVID-19 yeah. and everything that happens, not only the worries that you had around your work in online school, but then the worries about getting infected and protecting your family from getting infected, which was another big stressor. Um, and all the the measures in the community that were taken. So the social, you know, the social isolation that resulted from that, et cetera, um, really played a number on all of us. And um, it, it just, the demands of their stressors just rose above what we usually can cope with and deal with. And so even people who usually are really good with dealing with stress and things like that, I'm sure have had hard moments in the past six to seven months. So putting your pediatrics hat back on, um, maybe this isn't in your study. I apologize if it is. Uh, Well, tell me if it is, but um, how does having stressed out parents affect the nuclear family and affect children? Uh, what does this do to them? Yeah, so, so we have some data in our study on the children, but it, it wasn't in, you know, reported in this particular paper. Right. But we know from previous studies that um, how, did, how parents are dealing with something that a traumatic experience. So let's say after a hurricane, for example, comes through and then, you know, your house is being affected, etc. It depends for children. And again, I'm talking about smaller kids. I'm not talking about adolescents at this point, although it's still somewhat true for them as well. But how parents respond to it determines how the children are doing. So you can have children who will just breeze through the most traumatic experience because their parents are, are helping them to see it in a different light, to cope, to move along and say like, yeah, this is hard, but we, we can deal with this, right? right? And then if you can't as a parent, and which is totally normal in human, I mean, I don't want to like tell you, oh, just stay happy after a hurricane, <laughs> right? right? It's totally nor- normal in human, but how we react to it and how anxious we get about it and how we then communicate that stress to our children, both verbally and non-verbally, determines how well they do. And that's a very well established phenomenon in the literature. So we, we actually think that some of the implications of the current study is that not only will we have more adults who are seeking mental health care due to COVID-19, which is already something that we're seeing, we're going to see a lot of more kids needing mental health care. And mental health care is something that's underfunded, we don't have enough providers, you know, there's just generally a really lack of good mental health care in the United States. But if we have that lack in adults, the lack is just magnified a thousand times in pediatrics. So knowing this tsunami of, you know, kids coming and the parents coming for mental health care um, at some point now, in between now and the next couple of years, we're really going to overtax the system, I think, and, and not really be able to help everyone which is 
kind of sad, but it's yeah. a reality. And I think we need to prepare for that. Well, I mean, just mental health as a whole has been uh, in the news a lot. And I guess mm-hmm. um, I think more people understand it a little more, or maybe they don't understand it, but it's part of the discussion now. And, and you know, more employers are, are giving mental health days and, and things like that. So maybe, maybe we're getting better. <laughs> maybe we're getting better. It would be good. I think partly of it is just a stigma of it, right? It's like, yeah. oh, oh, wait, you're, you're bad enough that you need to go see a mental health therapist. It, it still has a stigma around it. It is changing. I agree with you. It's changing yeah. a lot. A younger generation, it, it's almost like a, a, a something of a pride. I've seen my therapist, right? Yeah. Where the older generation yeah. goes, no, you can't. So there's sure. still a lot of stigma around it. Um, but I also know that it's hard. Insurance doesn't cover it as well because that stigma goes through to how we fund things. And then right. and right. we see our mind sort of as separate from our body, which is absolutely not true. This, you know, you're, how can you function without a brain? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's there. And so um, it influences everything our body and the mind are in constant contact with each other. Um, anyway, and we also found in the study that these parents have really high uh, levels of um, physical symptoms, which is very common to have when you're stressed out, is to just physically feel bad. You have pains and aches and can't sleep, maybe eating too much or eating too little, you know, those kind of things. And we found that to be really high in the study as well. Yeah. I have just a few more questions. And mm-hmm. uh, again, thank you for for doing this today. Um, again, this was back in April and uh, this was barely a month into really the, the heavy part of this. And here we are approaching November and um, numbers are even worse. No real true light at the end of the tunnel right now. Um, how do you feel? And I think maybe this isn't a real scientific question, but how do you feel if you were to question the same 600 plus parents today, uh, Many months later, how do you feel the results would be if, if different at all? Because um, I got at least back in April, there was the mindset of, well, you know, a few months of this, not so bad. And now we're talking 2021 before maybe anything happens. So <laughs> how are parents' mindsets different now than they were back in April, do you feel? So on the one hand, we're getting used to it a little bit, right? Yeah. Things that were early on really strange, like we were just manically and obsessively washing our hands all the time. And now it's just something you do. You don't think about yeah. as much anymore. Um, it, so we're sort of getting used to a lot of things, which I think takes stress away. On the other hand, there's something about when stress is acute, it can be very intense and you just, you're in that and you go like, okay, but, but then at some point it becomes chronic and I'm, I'm afraid that a lot of people are in that chronic phase of stress right now, especially as parents with kids who aren't in school and, you know, or maybe they're in school, but they're only certain times of day, et cetera, et cetera. It's still a lot of juggling going on. Um, I'm afraid that a lot of parents are sort of in that chronic stress state, which actually over time is a lot worse for our mental and physical health um, because it sort of wears us down. It wears our body down. We were never meant to be creatures that were under chronic stress. If you think about what stress is, stress is you're a zebra and you're being followed by a lion and you just need to run for your life, right? But once the lion gives up and you shook him off, 
you're good. Like we're good. We shouldn't be stressed out anymore. That's physiologically what our stress system is supposed to be doing. Now think about COVID-19 as the lion, you know, chasing you for months and months of time. Your stress system physiologically can't keep on doing that. So the rise of all the stress hormones we saw in the beginning will actually completely drop and then go way too low. And it's, and we know that that is really terrible physiological and, and mental health consequences in terms of like what people would respond to as stress, like how stressed they are. I'm not sure that we will find much higher levels or much lower levels. So probably yeah. be the same because I think it's just different right now. The stressor is different. On the one hand, we're getting used to some things. On the other hand, it's sort of this chronic thing that we're under. So um, it, it's going to vary from person to person, of course, but overall, as, as I would say, the whole group of parents, I'm, I'm expecting it to be about the same, but more studies needed for sure. Uh, did you ask about uh, parents about any positives that have come from this? So like my own personal experience, yes, it's been very tough. And even this week, we, are, we have no idea how we're handling school and juggling and, and we're in November and, and uh, we don't know how we're going to do this. But, but there are a lot of positives. I, I've spent more time with my family than I ever have. Um, you know, we've, we've had... Um, little trips, socially distant trips that have been really great. And, and so are, are there positives to take from this experience that you feel like parents can maybe use that to better themselves or, or maybe not feel so bad about being stressed out? Yeah, we found even in our study, there was a significant group of people who said that they were less stressed early on in the pandemic. Think yeah. about it as a parent. Um, before the pandemic, we were all running around, you know, getting all of our kids to school and then after school activities and, and all kinds of other stuff. And there was this juggling of life. And all of a sudden there was this quietness, right? We were just together as a family. We could enjoy each other. Yeah. Um, there's actually a big group of children and parents who say, I really enjoy online schooling. I've heard from parents, for example, who have children um, of color who say, you know, that all of a sudden racism disappears, you know, daily in their lives because yeah. they're not in school, they're online. Um, other parents say like my ch child is an introvert, doesn't do well in, in a big group setting. So online schooling is better for us. So I think it really varies all over the map. I don't want to suggest all parents are extremely stressed out. I think yeah. there's good things about it and some things are better for certain parents. And then there are other parents where things just are a lot worse, you know, parents who get services through school that they no longer can get, etc. Um, but yes, I think there's definitely a shift in our awareness of how busy we were before and how much we let things go or refocus on the family and things that are important to us. Um, where we live, how we spend our time, etc. Um, how to make social connections. I think it's, it just was something that we used to just do when we had time. And now I think we prioritize those more. Um, so definitely some good things about the pandemic as well. That okay. Refocusing on goals. Yeah. So this is my final question. And uh, um, again, thank you. I was aiming at roughly 30 minutes here. Looks like we're going to hit that. So my final question then is, so I joked at the beginning, of course, we're stressed. And I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean anything bad by that. But but like I said, um, maybe someone will see the numbers and, and say, uh, um, or, or I guess somebody will hear the headline or see the headline and say, well, we knew that, but then you put it to numbers. So what, now that you have data that goes with 
this um, hypothesis that you know parents are stressed. You have the data behind it now. What do we do with this data? How can um, how can we as a society um, take what you've what you've learned and um, go from there? I guess. Yeah, I think there's there's two really main ones for me that I take away from the data. But of course, you know, I'm I'm. I know that's me, you know, could yeah. be, anybody else could interpret it differently. For me, one of them is that um, we really need to focus on parents and um, what their needs are. And specifically when it comes to gender equity, right? And we see this, this um, not to take away anything from fathers, but overall, not in my study, I haven't looked at it, but overall we see that women have a really particularly really hard time um, and that comes to lack of daycare for children, right? Just the sure. lack of time to be able to focus on something else. Because if you have a child that's constantly interrupting you, you can't do your work. And so I think one of the takeaways that we can be is how important it is to have appropriate care options for children, um, especially younger children for parents who work. If we value parents working, then we, we need to have appropriate um space for children to be. I think it also emphasizes that uh, children probably ought to be in school. And I know that that's very controversial and a lot of you know healthcare providers and people in science don't agree with me, but I think in general, we see that infection rates among children are just as bad as they are among adults, but there's something about them, especially children below the age of nine or so, but they're not super spreaders. They're not giving this to a lot of other people. And um, schools can be and have been open successfully. And that probably is really, really important, not only for parents, but also for the children themselves. They have effects of this as well and their social development, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, um, access to meals at school and services at school and all these kind of things. So I think that's a for me, a really important thing to take into consideration that we not just look at the virus itself and how to contain it and how to prevent people from getting sick and dying, which definitely should be our first priority, right? But right. we should balance that with what does that mean for mental health for um, our society? Because we can't keep on, kind of can't keep on going this way. That something is going to break one way or the other and we need right. to, we need to, do something i think <laughs> and then secondly it's just sort of knowing that this tsunami of of problems is going to come our way and lots and lots of people are going to want to um get help and to prepare for that to prepare for that in our system to screen people for it so if pediatricians have kids coming in with their parents who kids of chronic diseases you know to screen them for mental health issues and provide services and uh, refer them, et cetera. Those are just really important things. But in order for us to, you know, um, be able to work with that many people, we need better options than we have right now. The number of psychologists and psychiatrists is too low right now to be able to help people. So I hope it will spur innovation in treatments. We've already seen that now, most psychologists since about February are only doing online or virtual visits. Um, and I hope that's here to stay. They can also do visits across borders, which wasn't um, allowed previously because of, um, you, know, you needed to be licensed in every single state. Now some states allow um, their inhabitants to see a licensed professional in another state. 
And then um, in addition, hopefully there's more developments of sort of apps and other kind of things that were, you know, truly good uh, mental health stress-reducing techniques, et cetera, are going to be offered to a larger scale of people yeah. um, so that we can preserve the psychiatrists and psychologists and, you know, those people for the people who need more than here's, a, here's some extra help for you. You know, we can right. provide that probably to the majority of people before they need to be seen by somebody. So anyway. Well, idea. no, that's, that's great. So if, uh, if I do use this for the podcast, I just want to say, um, uh, that uh, I follow you on Twitter and anybody who may happen to listen to this, you are a very interesting follow on Twitter. You post a lot mm -hmm. and you post a lot of really interesting content. So um, I, I, uh, I suggest um, to anybody who, who is looking for good content on Twitter, um, you, you're definitely uh, a fun follow. So, um, but other than that, uh, we, I'd actually like to have you on the podcast um, you know, down the line again, because you, you do a lot of great research. And I, and I know the clinical research department here is, is doing a lot of good work. And, um, and I would definitely like to talk more about that moving forward. One of the things I'm trying to do at Campbell is highlight our research more and, um, and highlight some of the great things that our faculty and staff are doing, such as the recent prison teaching initiative story and, and uh, some of the other things. So okay. thank you so much. Thank and uh, I appreciate you doing this and uh, we'll talk to you again. Sounds good. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Bye. Bye.